How are we doing? You guys had your coffee yet? Let's hope so. You know, I, I think it's just cool how God works because, um, you know, I didn't know that uh, Evan was going to be praying for Aaron and Rebecca, and I just got to chat with Aaron out there earlier and just uh, asked him how he was doing. And he just said, Man, I'm struggling this morning. And he just had some things going on in his life. Uh, just even just this morning, had some things going on that was, was troubling him. And uh, he was just down and having a hard time, and he needed that prayer. And I think God just knows exactly what we need at, the, at exactly the right time. And so I just think that um, that is really cool how God works. And, and uh, God knew that they needed that. Um, but uh, my name's Chris, for those of you that don't know me, and I'm one of the teaching pastors down here at Rimrock Downtown. Um, glad to be with you guys this morning and jumping into the book of Acts again with you guys. Uh, we're going through this series called We Are They, talking about um, who is they. The, they is the, the, the church of that is laid out and shown to us through the book of Acts and, uh, and how we can, can connect with that church and that community through the same Holy Spirit that is working in the book of Acts that works with us and in us and through us today. And so jumping into the books of Acts, we want to just uh, look at, at what's going on. What is going on in the book of Acts that we're starting to see? And what we're starting to see is God is starting to build his church. He's starting to build his people around what he uh, wants his people to look like and to be about, right? And he started it by, by Jesus handing off his ministry to his disciples and giving them the Holy Spirit to do the work through them, right? And all of a sudden we see amazing things happen through the Holy Spirit and through his disciples um, submitting and being a part of what God wants to do. Through them, we see them doing uh, acts of, of miracles and, and how they come together and they're unified, right? And they, they, they come together and they meet each other's needs. And we've been seeing this community start to build. This community that is, is, is centered around unity, around commonality, and around trust. And trust is a big part of what this community is about. Trusting God and trusting each other, right? And so we're seeing the church begin to form. And it's pretty cool to, to look at it and to see how God is forming this church, this community, this body of people. And so we're going to jump in um, to, we're at uh, Acts 5 right now. So if you have a Bible, um, turn it on, open it up, whatever you need to do to go to Acts 5 with us. And um, I'm going to start off by overlapping a little bit of what Jonathan shared last week about this community that is, is coming together and what it looks like. And, and what do we see? We see this community um, uh, starting to do radical things, extreme things, like selling off their houses and their, their fields so that they could give the money to the church so that the church can meet the needs of the people. And so... I overlap because the, the passage that we're going to talk about today is, is a direct contrast. And we need to look at it as a contrast to what Jonathan talked about last week. And 
a contrast to, to the radical things and the extreme things that were happening, happening uh, within the believers. And so I'm going to jump into uh, Acts 4, starting in 4, verse 36, and read the rest of 36 and 37, and then flow into to Acts 5. And so read along with me as we read this. So we're seeing... Um, the believers do these radical things. The apostles and the disciples do these radical things. And it shows an example. He says, thus Joseph, talking about this guy, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite and a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, so there's one example. But, and that's a big but, Right? That is an important but that we need to look at. But, <laughs> I know, laugh, laugh, laugh. It's a big but. I like the divine buts, okay? I call this a divine but. How many times can I say but in church, okay? But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal, I want to stop there and remind us that last week Jonathan talked about how these acts, these things that the disciples were doing, that the apostles were doing, were voluntary, temporary, and limited, right? They were voluntary. It wasn't a requirement for them to sell their possessions, to be a part of this community. It was a voluntary act, okay? So his property was his And when he sold it, the money was his. And so Peter says, it was at your disposal. So why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him away and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit? To test the Spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, i got to be honest, um, you know, when when we started laying out this series, Evan and Derek and Jonathan and I, we practically had to arm wrestle to see who who got to preach on this passage, right? You know, we all were so eager to preach on this passage because it's just so easy and straightforward, right? It's just so encouraging to preach on this passage where people are lying and then dying, right? So it's, I got it, all right? So I won, right? 
And uh, I figured it's so easy that all we're going to do today is just read this passage and then I'm just going to pass offering plates around and see how it goes, right? <laughs> we got some young men here ready to, ready to carry some people out if that needs to happen. And we got Oshimes on speed dial, right? <laughs> I'm just joking, of course. But I will point out that there's an offering box at the back of the room. But I say these things tongue-in-cheek and almost with satire behind it, right? Because that's a point that I want to make, is that if we focus and we, if we get hung up on this part, on the result of what happened, we will miss the point completely. We will miss the reason why it happened. You see, I don't want us to get hung up on the result of what happened. I want us to, to hone in and focus in on the reason that this happened, that we just read about, right? So what's going on? What's going on in this passage? What's going on at this time and in this moment, in this community and in this church? Okay, we see at this time and at this moment that the Holy Spirit is doing extraordinary things to set an extraordinary example to the community, right? Jonathan shared that with us last week. That the Holy Spirit is doing extraordinary things through the apostles and through the disciples to, as an example to the community and to the people around that are watching and looking in Okay, I also believe that the Holy Spirit at this time and in this moment is doing extraordinary things through the imposters that are trying to infiltrate that community. The imposters that are allowing Satan to so deceive their hearts and try to infiltrate this, this church, this community. Because I believe that God what he's doing in this time is protecting what he's building. Okay? He's protecting it and he's guarding it because I wouldn't say that the church is weak, but I would say that the church at this point is vulnerable. And it's vulnerable as he's building it up and as, as people are coming to know Jesus and to be filled with the Spirit. He's protecting it because I think what we see in this community is we see God's ideal, God's design, how he meant us to be, how he meant us to live in community. And God, I believe that throughout scripture, throughout the whole Bible, God continues to point us back to that. He continues to point us back to the garden, to what life was meant to be. And in that garden, there was a lie that came in that infiltrated and corrupted the hearts of man. And what I think is happening here is God is saying, not this time. God is showing his people that he has power over that. That that lie will not come in again. At this moment, and at this time, God is protecting his church. And God is taking this opportunity to solidify the community that he is putting together. To solidify 
the community that he wants, that, that's going to be about his purposes. That's going to be about what he wants to do through his people. And this community is about trust. And if there's not trust in this, then, then it will fall apart. This community, and he's solidifying this community about trust, about being authentic with each other and transparent. This community that is about truth. And I believe that God gives his people exactly what they need at exactly the right time in exactly the right place. Whether it be encouragement, like we saw with the Costellos this morning, exactly the right time, exactly the right place, or whether it be discipline, exactly the right time, exactly the right place, exactly what is needed. Because God is big enough to know exactly what is needed. And I believe at this moment, at this time, in this church, that is what was needed. For them to see the power of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, and what God wanted His people to be about. Trust, authenticity, transparency, and truth. You see, if God felt like it was needed or required. And this is what I believe. If God felt it was needed and required for him to do the same thing today, then he could and he would do it. Here's the problem. That I feel like if, if God was was dropping people dead for having deceit in their heart as they walk into church, then the American church would have a different pandemic on their hands. And I think that God has a different purpose. God has a different plan for today to solidify his people. It's still the same purpose. But is God using different ways? Is God using different things in our life That's just as extreme, that's just as drastic as people dropping dead right in the middle of a church service. Is God using COVID and a virus to help purify, solidify his church? I'm not saying that God gave us the virus. I'm saying maybe God is using this virus to help us to help bring the church together. When Satan wants to use it to push us apart, to break us apart, to separate us. You see that? But is God using it to bring us together, to show us that we need community? You see, we spent some time not being able to meet. Is God using it to show us that we need community? We need to be together. This is important. We cannot live this life alone and in isolation. Is God using different things like the social issues going on? 
like the things going on with racism and Black Lives Matters, is God using this to show us and to purify us and to solidify us as a community, saying, this is what I want you to be about. Trust, truth, authenticity, transparency. You see, God can use many different ways and many different means to bring his people together. And we need to know that however difficult, however hard it is, because I'm sure that was difficult to swallow that we just read about. I'm sure that was difficult to understand. But however difficult, we need to trust that it is for his purposes and for his glory, not for us, not for ours. God is doing what he needs for his purposes not what we need for our purposes. Do you hear that? And I believe that, that certain actions are required for certain moments. And God knows exactly what is needed. To kind of bring this home real quick, um, I want to show you an example of, of God doing, using a different means and doing something totally different for a very similar situation. As we look at Paul addressing the church and addressing Titus in his church, we read in this, Titus uh, chapter 1, 1 through 10 through 11, really. Uh, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in their faith. We have empty talkers, deceitfulness going on in the church. Are they dropping dead? No. They are being rebuked sharply. A different discipline for a different moment and a different time. And what is exactly needed that God knows to bring them back to the faith. So we have to trust that God knows exactly what is needed at exactly this time and this moment. And so what was God confronting? What was the Holy Spirit confronting? What was the reason behind this and that's what I want us to look at so that we can know what God what are you trying to do in my life at this moment at this time what was the Holy Spirit confronting what was going on in the hearts of Ananias and Sapphira based on the context it it seemed that there was something going on in this community that people wanted to be a part of right There was something going on that was attractive to people. Okay, there was this community that was unified around these things, and people wanted wanted to be a part. We saw that in the passage that Jonathan shared with us last week. And so it seems like Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted to be a part of this community too. Right? They wanted to be a part of it. But it seems like they wanted to be a part of it on their own terms. And by their own agenda. And how they wanted to be a part of it. So they look at the community and see what's going on. 
and they try to emulate it, and they try to look like other people in this community. Oh, they're selling their possessions and giving it to the church. I'm going to sell my possessions and give it to the church, but I'm not going to give all of it. I'm going to keep some for myself because I want to be a part of it, but only on my own terms. You see, Ananias and Sapphira, they were, they were playing the game. They were playing the game for self-gain, for this image-based praise, for their own needs. See, they had a need, apparently, that they wanted to fill, that they wanted to have met, and so they tried to play this game. As Peter calls it out, they were trying to, to test the Spirit. And so they play this game for their image-based praise. To look like this community, but not fully be a part of it. Let's bring it close to home. And I don't say this to offend anybody or step on anybody's toes, because I will tell you this first, that this is my story, this is my conviction, this is something that I've had to repent of, myself how many of us know or have been young parents who prior to having children had a nominal at best relationship connection or involvement with church if any and the moment we start having kids we think to ourselves, maybe now is the time we should probably start going to church. We should probably start getting involved in church because we want our kids to grow up in the church. And so we start going to church with our, our family because we want our kids to be raised with these Christian values. We want our kids to be raised with these, these Christian uh, values that, uh, that help us. We have a need, and we want it to be met. And so the community of the church is just there to meet our needs. And this is purely and utterly moralism. And that's all that it is. Because we want to be morally good people. And that's what the church can offer us. Okay? We go to church because it can offer us something. Some good morals for us and for our kids. And so that we can, if we're honest, I'm just saying this is my story, if we're honest, so that we can look good on the outside. Okay? And again, this is not just my story myself, but this is my story when I was a kid. My dad, I love my dad. My dad, right now, today, is probably the most godliest, faithful man that I know. A guy who, after my first year of college, 
sits me down and says, Chris, we're not taking out any more loans for college. And if the money doesn't come in, you're not going to college. And I have a college degree. He's the most faithful, godly man. But when I was a kid, my dad was a self-proclaimed atheist who conceded to bring his kids to church. Purely for the motive to give his kids the good moral values to make morally good decisions. And it was for his own purpose and for his own needs that he went to church. Not to be a part of what God is doing, but to reap the benefits of what God can do for him. And how many of us, if we're honest, can do that at times? We can do things and be a part of this community, be a part of the church, not for what God, to be a part of what God is doing, but what, to be a part of what God can do for us. Are we lying to God and trying to pull the wool over his eyes as if we could? Are we testing the spirit? Where are we playing the game of church? Where are we playing the game without giving ourselves fully to it? Where are we holding back? You see, I think that God wants the church to come together, unified, saying, I want to give my time. I want to give my money. I want to give my resources. I want to give my talents. Not to say, look what I've done. But to say, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing. You see, God's heart is that we would give everything give everything that he wants us to give not for our purposes and our glory but for his purposes and his glory for us to say help me give everything you want me to give and i can't tell you what that is for each and every one of you i can't say that it's a formula i can't say that you're supposed to go sell your house and give the money to the church i can't say that you're supposed to give this much or that much i can't say that you're supposed to do this or do that with your time but you can listen to god and the holy spirit in your own life and ask yourself god what do you want me to do and am i going to do it with every part of me not holding back what do you need to give? What do I need to give? And what are we holding back? What are we holding back? And the better question is why? Why are we holding back? Because here's the honest truth. I think that the reason we hold back from giving everything that God wants us to give to God is fear absolute fear because we're afraid and often we know exactly what God is going to ask us to give. We know. And we're afraid. And we don't give everything that God has asked us to give. But what happens 
when we fully give ourselves, when we fully give exactly what God wants us to give. I'm going to keep reading. Continuing in Acts 5, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of them, men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them out on cots and mats, that, Pe- that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall upon some of them. The people also gathered from the towns and drew, uh, around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. You see, when we give ourselves fully to God, amazing things happen. Not everybody joins in, but they know something's up. And they know something's happening that is bigger than themselves, that is bigger than us, it's bigger than this community. And you get to be a part of something big. You get to be a part of something that God is doing. And I'll leave us with this question that I seriously want us to consider as we go home this week. And every day of our lives, really. Are we ready to be a part of what God's doing? Instead of expecting God to be a part of what we're doing. Are we ready to be a part of what God's doing? Instead of expecting God to be a part of what we're doing. What does that look like? in your life. Let me pray. God, you you want to move through us. You want to use us to radically change this world. To radically impact people's lives. You want to radically turn our lives upside down. I know you do. I pray that we would be honest with you, that we would be honest with ourselves of where we are holding back and what you are calling us to, and that you would remove every bit of fear in our life, that we would be able to just trust that you are good, that you love us, that you will provide, you will give us everything we need as we submit to you, as we give everything that you are calling us to give over to you.